0: You are listening to The airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. Hello and welcome back into The airing Cupboard. Thank you for your messages about the last story with Marcy and Katia and the White Plains of Siberia. So admittedly, this was a new type of tale for the Erin Cupboards, the non-resolution. Thank you for your thoughts about the what-if moment, about all the what-if moments in our lives, those tiny choices, decisions, which make our reality topple, those sometimes enormous, sometimes minute ruptures, after which things are never the same again. So today, our story comes all the way from Australia. Anna is in her mid-30s when this story takes place. She lives in one of the big Australian cities and she works as an art consultant or dealer in Aboriginal art. She established the links between reputable art galleries and Aboriginal artists working often in remote communities, in outback locations, making sure the work has been ethically produced and sold and that the artists directly benefit. She sources the work, she finds galleries ready to exhibit and sell. So she's that link between the city galleries and the artists in the land. She physically visits the communities, often in areas on Aboriginal lands, where you might need to obtain a permit prior to enter. So in the years that she has been working as an art dealer, she has developed great relationships with the artists, sometimes even bringing them off-country into town for exhibitions and other events. And of course, as you might imagine, all of this involves quite a bit of travelling. Travelling that she surprisingly mostly does on her own. Now, why not, you might think. Aha, but this isn't the travelling that most of us are used to, by plane or by train. No. To do this type of travelling, as a woman, especially alone, it takes a certain type of people and equipment and time. A large four-wheel drive, two spare tires, a swag to sleep in, and of food and water to last in case of an uh, unexpected problem, plenty of common sense, and plenty of time, and last but not least, very large eyes to absorb the utter beauty of the wide, endless country travelled. And so it was during one of those trips that this story takes place. She had left the city in the dark of night, she had meticulously packed the day before and got out of bed as quietly as a mouse. Her partner hadn't even stirred in his sleep. He had got back very late from his work due only a couple of hours before. She would be away for a full month this time and she would have very little contact with home. She would be visiting three different communities. First day's drive would take her to a farm what they call a station in Australia, at the end of the bitumen road. She would stay the night and after that, it would just be dirt roads all the way. And if it all went well, she would reach the first community at the end of the afternoon on the second day. She always loved those long drives, leaving the city behind her, her head getting clearer as she was putting more distance between her and the bustle of town. Just herself. The road, the red dirt, the ochres, the greys and the skies and the infinite of the wide horizons. Those drives always allowed her to somehow reflect on her life and give her some much-needed headspace to regroup. Things had been difficult lately. She had been with a partner for just over four years now. They both came from very different worlds. Although living in the city most of her adult life, she had been educated on the land, in the bush. And he was a proper city dweller, loving everything that came with it. But it hadn't stopped them falling in love with each other. The first year had been amazing. But things had deteriorated quite quickly. She didn't really know why. She felt he had quickly grown, annoyed with her, bored of her. She felt she had to somehow tame herself to fit the image he had of her, the woman he wanted her to be. And sometimes she felt ashamed of her looks, her intellect, her conversations, or simply ashamed of herself. Like her hair. She was naturally very curly, but he hated it. And so she would spend 20 minutes every morning to straighten it. Some of her friends would tell her not to bother, to be herself. He would love her just the same, with her wild mane. And together, the girls would laugh into the nights around a bottle of wine. And she would say they were right and that things were going to change. But the next morning, the straighteners would be heating up. On the bathroom cabinet. She felt lonely in her relationship with him and she knew he did too. He was coming back later and later from work. He was doing more sports, spending less time with her. She had a little voice in her head that was whispering to her that the relationship had probably come to its natural end. She couldn't brace herself for yet another failure, and so she stayed. She supposed that somehow, one day, he might leave, like the others had before. But he had stayed. She was deeply involved in her thoughts, and the city was now far behind her. The sun was rising in the east, bringing with its light rays the promise of a new day, a new beginning. There was barely another car on the road anymore, and she noticed one motorist putting two, three, four fingers up as their car crossed on the highway as to say a little hello. She knew she was definitely into the country now. Only there do cars wave at each other. So she hit the button on the radio, put a favorite music playlist on, the one she could sing on, opened the window wide and, while gripping her steering wheel with both hands, offered a face to the wind, her hair free to curl back up. She arrived at the station just before dusk. It always surprised her how different she would be in the land from the woman she was in the city Strong, free and confident, as if the layers of who she was in town had gradually peeled off with each mile travelled. So after a good night's sleep, an earthy breakfast and after checking the oil and water on the car, she set off, leaving the bitumen road behind her and the last bit of civilization. From here it would be dirt, corrugation, the skies and the earth. Emptiness, one could say, but so much more for those whose hearts sing when surrounded by the raw beauty of the oddback. It was about four o'clock. She hadn't made good progress. The road was particularly bad and felt as if it hadn't seen the grader for weeks. The large car was being shaken a lot. And then something jittered. She knew straight away. She had blown a tire. But that wasn't going to face her, she had done this before. So she got out of the car and started getting things ready to put the spare on. And that's when she noticed on the horizon a cloud of dust drifting on the wind and approaching. Another car was coming. No, two cars actually. Now, that was the exact situation she didn't like. She was vulnerable. The cars approached, one after the other, and slowed down as to not create too much dust, and eventually stopped. They obviously travelled together. In the first car, two lovely girls, big smiles, accents, German backpackers. And in the second one, a man and a dog. He seemed a similar age to hers. And immediately, she knew she hadn't need to worry. She was safe. Next to the man, an old Kelpie observed with wise golden eyes. Framed by the open window of his pickup truck, his face was like an open book. Straight blue eyes with a bit of a twinkle, a big honest smile under a wide-brim akubra hat. Now that she could see him properly, he was definitely a little younger than her. He asked if all was well, if she needed help. And without waiting for her reply, he had jumped out of his youth, onto the ground in a little puff of red dust, gathering back on the top of his brown boots and the bottom of his jeans. He walked to his friend's car told them to go on, not to worry, he would stay back. They said their goodbyes, he banged on the wing of the car twice with a laugh to send them on their way, and they disappeared in a cloud of dust. They'll be all right, he said. And then he climbed on the roof rack of her car to untie the spare wheel. And they started chatting, laughing and working together. He had been working as a fencing contractor for a few months, And he was on his way back to the family station, taking a little detour of a mere 600k. A little road trip. He had hooked up with the girls in the little town, 150k up the road. He was in no hurry. She was immediately seduced by him, by his easiness to speak and to laugh, to communicate with her, and by the way he had of working alongside with her, without patronizing her, There was an undeniable familiarity there, possibly because she knew his type. She had grown up, surrounded with such men, amongst them. As they finished, they both knew she wouldn't reach the community that day. Far from it. And besides, no one travels in the dark. So he asked her, If she would like a companion to bivouac with. And of course, for many reasons, she said yes. And that evening, around the campfire that was throwing its crackling sounds in the silence of the night, under the thousand stars, they shared stories, loves, and soon dreams, fears, and hopes. The old dog lying next to them. He was a lot more open and at ease with himself than any other man she had met before. After all, she didn't know his type. He seemed utterly free. He had grown up like she had on a cattle station deep in the Australian backcountry. He had travelled through Europe and Asia, lived in New Zealand, but the bush was his happy place. What a guy, she was thinking, as he was kneeling next to the fire, poking it with a stick, his face lit up by the flames from under his broad hat. And when the time came to sleep, he invited her to be off the ground and unroll a swag next to his, in the open air, at the back of his youth. They fell asleep, only two feet from each other, while the Milky Way wrapped its luminous arms around them and everything. Some hours later, in the cold hour of dawn, rolled up on her side, she heard the Desert Raven with its peculiar call. And although her eyes were still shut, she knew it was soon to be morning. The sun, although still invisible, had stirred out of his sleep and was slowly and sleepily dragging itself up behind the horizon. And she opened her eyes. And there, lying on his side so close and yet so far, he was looking straight at her with an intensity that was palpable, his blue eyes asking a question. He extended his hand and played with a curl of her hair, rolling the ringlet around one of his fingers. He loved her hair, he said, and deep inside, she smiled. The raven threw his coals once more on the little desert wind that precedes the first rays of sunshine and flew above them, high, and below the jet-black wings of the bird, In the middle of the red earthy sea below, next to a smouldering fire, two cars are parked, and in the back of the white youth, two lovers are whispering magical words to each other, and an old dog sleeps at their feet, unbothered. She didn't go to the community that day, and he didn't go back to the family station. Instead, They turned their cars back and drove 70k and took a turning to a place he knew. Some rock formations, some gum trees, golden grass, birds. It was beautiful. The place had such spirit and energy. They spent a day and a night here together. They spoke of everything but the future. They just enjoyed the moment. She didn't allow herself to see further. She knew nothing of him. And her conscience was whispering to her at all time that she had a partner waiting for her back in town. Was it lust or was it love? She wasn't sure. Did it matter? She felt vibrant and free in his presence, reconnected with the best of her. The connection was too strong and so they decided to spend more time together. That she was going to make a way to the Aborigine community, see to what she had to do there. He would go up the road to get a phone signal, do a few calls, get a few supplies, and they would meet back at this spot three days later. As they embraced and said the goodbyes, He couldn't let her go, holding her so tight. You are coming back, aren't you? He had whispered in the thick of her curls. And he took his broad-brim Akubra hat that he was holding with his left hand and placed it on her head. It fitted perfectly. There you go, he said. You take that. So I am sure you'll be coming back and she promised. And she climbed in a car with the hat firmly planted on her head and went. In the back mirror, she could see him standing next to his dog, getting smaller and smaller in a cloud of red dust. Her heart pulled, but she was already going. She arrived at the community, she called town, but the apartment was empty all evening. She managed to speak to her partner the next day, but he had very little time and the conversation was cut short. She saw the artists, she organized work, she picked up a few pieces, but really she couldn't concentrate on anything during those two days. Her mind was constantly busy with paradoxical thoughts, constantly oscillating between heart and mind life would decide she had told herself. She always told herself. And so, when she climbed in her car on the morning of the third day, turned her key in the ignition, and that the red lights appeared on the dashboard, when the engine failed to start, she sat back in her seat and smiled, and thought life had decided she wouldn't go back. She wouldn't see him again. When I spoke to her about that moment of resignation, I voiced my surprise to her. I couldn't understand why she hadn't fought the moment, why she hadn't organized something, borrowed another car, or got a message to him somehow, or him that was waiting for her. And she explained to me that it was the story of her life, and that she somehow always cowardly suffered the events, without taking much responsibility, without truly trying to shape her own future. How long might he have waited for her? We do not know. Eventually, she came back to the city, the partner, the apartment, her life and the status quo of it. It was as if those two days in the red beauty of the outback had never happened. Just the Akubra hat that she was keeping in the back of her wardrobe was a testimony of what had happened. And the fact she wasn't straightening her hair anymore. And three months passed. And it was after a night of fun with the girls that it had happened. It had been her turn to host, and she had probably drank a little too much. Those evenings with her friends were always fantastic and fun. And they had got into the conversation of regrets, about those moments of non-resolution, a bit like what the last story of The Erring cupboard speaks about. And she hadn't said anything, but she had thought about the Bushman. She had regretted often. She had so often found herself thinking of him, especially in those moments when she felt lonely with others, lonely in her relationship. And when the girls had left, she went into the spare room and pulled the Akubra hat from the depth of the wardrobe and sat on the floor, caressing the rabbit fur felt, looking at it, playing with the trimmings. And that is when she noticed something. On the inside of the rim, under the inner leather band, a piece of metal was attached. It was definitely homemade, like a thin piece of beer can. It had been carefully cut to shape, long and narrow, sewn in with two cord threads, and on it, an engraving. Her name, his name, and the name of a cattle station. She got up, opened her laptop, and Google Earth. She entered the name of the station into the browser, and there it was, a definite red dot, glowing in the midst. Of the red and brown Australian nothingness. She smiled, a pang of excitement in the tender core of her belly. That hat had to be reunited with its owner. She had promised. Et voilà. I can't tell you much more because she asked me not to say more because she liked that bit of her story and I agreed with her. The rest is hers. I will end with saying this. If you enjoy these stories and you want to give back, the best way to support the show is to take those three minutes out of your day and go on to iTunes or in your podcast app and do a rating and a review. First of all, I obviously love reading them, but really it helps giving the airing cupboard more visibility. You can also join me on the brand new Facebook group, which is a closed group and where we can have discussions about the stories, where you can give me your story, where we can connect all together. You will also find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for The Erin Cupboard and you will recognize the logo. So I wish you all a very good two weeks and until we meet again in The Erin Cupboard, goodbye.